are some intangibles that those projections failed to take into consideration. The crowd was going crazy. There's not much in life that's better than that. You're listening to Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys on the 95.7 The Game Podcast Network. Hello there. Welcome back to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. This is the 48th episode of this podcast, the uh, the Russ Ortiz episode, if you want to call it that, or Pablo Sandoval, if you want to go with more recency bias there. Or Ross Stripling. Or the Ross Stripling episode, even uh, you know, even more recent. Uh, Sam Lubman here with Joe, the Butcher Boy Shasky. We are four games into the season. The Giants are 2-2, two and two, and the two losses, they have been shut out, and the two wins, obviously they weren't, so... I guess that means if the Giants score runs, they will win baseball games. There you go. I have cracked the code. I know how to make the Giants win every game now. Well, uh, there's a variety of things to be excited with, uh, Loveman, from yesterday. I mean, number one, um, obviously the bats break out. But, and we'll get to each of those players because I think it's very mm-hmm. important that a lot of them broke out. How about Di Scalfani, though? Don't you think that that was kind of lost in the sauce? Is that he pitched really well yesterday? No, I really like how Di Scalfani looked. Uh, the ankle looks like it's all better. That really seemed to, no pun intended, trip him up last year when he just, yeah, it was really bothering him all year long, and it held him to, I believe, four four or five appearances last year. He looked like 2021 Anthony Di Scalfani. The pitches had a lot of great movement. He was working really fast. I think he had you know 60-something pitches going into the sixth inning. He was just really motoring through what is a pretty good Chicago yeah. White Sox lineup. And, you know, we were doing some hand-wringing over Anthony DiScalfani during spring training. He looked great against Team USA, but then in his last start, I believe it was, it was against the A's, he really got lit up there. And we're like, what Anthony DiScalfani are we getting? It's only one start, but so far, I'm really liking what we're seeing from him. And again, when the, in a Giants pitching uh, staff that is going to be built on its depth, being able to see, you know, a guy like Anthony DiScalfani on the back half of the starting staff, really being able to kind of, you know, shut opposing lineups down, put a bunch of goose eggs up on that scoreboard. It's it's great to see for Giants fans. Losing Gosman and then Rodon in consecutive seasons, it was a blow. Like, I know the Giants think they can replenish uh, top of the rotation guys. It's hard to find those guys. DiScalfani in 2021 was more top of the rotation than he was, you know, incomplete like he was last year, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a big step forward. I don't know if it's sustainable. I like what I saw, but if he can be a guy that can give me six guaranteed on a team with Cobb and Wood and Jacob Junis and Manaya, you know, there's questions there whether those guys can get through four, let alone five innings. So if this guy can be chalked up as a six-inning guy, I think that's huge for this team. Oh, definitely. And again, yeah, he really lengthens lengthens that rotation out. And like you said, yeah, I do want to see it over a long period of time. We remember in 2021, he was nails those first few months. But then the last couple months, August, September, there were some bumps in the road there. So making sure that he can keep it up the entire season, that's going to be key for him. But again, yeah, you have no reason to not be excited over uh, what he did in his first start against the White Sox yesterday. Uh, I want to stick with the pitching really quick. And uh, the guy who followed him up, uh, Sean Manaya, made his uh, debut with the Giants yesterday, his regular season debut with the Giants yesterday, pitched two innings, gave up a couple runs. And it's going to be a bit of an adventure with Sean Manaya, I feel like, going into this season. Mike Kruko had a great line at one point uh, during the broadcast. Sean Manaya, he's a guy who, when he has the mechanics in lock, he's as tough as anyone to get a hit off of. 
But that was the problem last year with San Diego. He just really was not in sync mechanically, and he left far too many pitches out over the plate, and he really was victimized by the long ball last year. Uh, Shasky, I'm just kind of curious, you know, what are your initial thoughts on Sean Manaya, who when he was signed, it was kind of a, are we sure this is where we want to go kind of move? Well, I get why you'd want to get him some work in a blowout game because he hasn't had a start in quite some time. I understand that. A lot of these guys are creatures of habit, you know, coming out into the seventh inning. How many times has he done that in his professional, forget major league, professional baseball career? I'm not sure the answer to that. I'm skeptical on him. You know, like I'm going to have to see it over five or six different appearances before I make a judgment on him, you know, finding his groove or solidifying himself as an impact arm on this team. Uh, I'm just taking it one outing at a time right now and trying to be, like I said, you know, realistic. And it's it's hard to be optimistic, right? I'm skeptical right now to see it. And so yesterday he just hung a couple of pitches. He got hit hard. It was a blowout. You're not trying to, you know, over over dramatize it. If you're a Giants fan, I'm just I don't see it, man. And and I, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a couple ways you could look at it. The first way I would look at it is how much faith do you have in this Giants coaching staff to mm. be able to get Shamanaya right? We've said it ad nauseum. So many guys have come through here looking like they're completely broken down shells of themselves. And whatever magic fairy dust that the Giants coaching staff sprinkles on these pitchers, it works. So they're really good at helping guys find their mechanics. Mm. How consistently he can keep those mechanics is going to be key for him. I do believe that I think Andrew Bailey went out and talked to him like a couple batters in. And I got to think that if this was a close game, that would have been it for Manaya. But they're going to let him get his work in in a blowout. And you know what? If you're going to look rough, I'd rather you do it when you have, you know, a 7 nothing lead to work with. And you know what? I It's going to be a work in progress. There's going to be some games with Sean Manaya where – you're just like, wow, that's the guy we've been looking for. You know, that's the guy we signed. You, I mean, he was a great pitcher with the A's for the most part. Um, but then there's going to be those outings where you're just like, why is this guy in Let, here? Yeah, no, I think you're right. Let's go back to the weekend. Um, Thursday start, Logan Webb. Uh, Saturday with Camilo Duvall in the ninth inning. Um, obviously, you had Ross Stripling with a poor performance and Alex Cobb, who I guess pitched better than the numbers would indicate. What did you think of the overall impressions of the staff, the pitching staff uh, coming out of Yankee stadium? I really like what we saw from Logan Webb. I know he had the couple bad pitches there against Aaron judge and Glaber Torres. You know, those are two very good hitters. That's going to happen. The Aaron judge home run. It might've been scripted. Who knows? Uh, (laughs) It's just, it was just too obvious of a home run to have happen. But no, I really like what I saw from Logan Webb. Again, just a lot of great movement on his pitches and again, I'm I'm very convinced that Logan Webb can be the number one starter that this team needs. Others are more skeptical. It's more wishful thinking on my end to see Logan hit that uh, that that tier where he could be that legit number one starting pitcher because the Giants need that guy. The Giants need that guy who can just take this starting staff and say I'm the guy. In the last couple of years, he's been that guy, and I really want to see Logan Webb just officially nail down that yeah. spot this weekend. Uh, Going to the back half of the pitching staff, though, with Camille Duvall had his regular season debut on in Saturday night. And uh, there's Giants baseball torture, and then there's Giants baseball, what Camille Duvall put us through in that ninth inning on Saturday. Shasky, how are you kind of keeping yourself together when that ninth inning was happening? Well, a couple things. Number one, Yankee Stadium rabid in the ninth inning. That was awesome in terms of drama and theater. And then going through a buzzsaw, Judge Stanton, that lineup, like it's legit. Rizzo, they've got ballers. Um, 
this is a guy that didn't really pitch much in spring training outside of the WBC. And so when you look at what the WBC had and what it didn't have was the pitch clock, right? And so this is a guy who works really slow in Camilo Duvall. He has the first big-time save. It's bases loaded. It's Yankee Stadium. Pressure through the roof. Look at the lineup that he faced. It's baptism by fire. And, yeah, he had a couple of moments where he didn't come set in time and, and throw a ball, and they got the automatic ball because of the pitch clock. I loved what I saw from the kid, the moxie. He got the ground ball and got the double play that you absolutely needed. And really, as much as I would be encouraged by one, two, three inning, I feel like we learned a little bit about Camilo Duvall in moments of pressure. He easily could have folded there. And it mm -hmm. wasn't pretty, but I liked what I saw from him. Yeah, it was shaky. And that's, that's the thing when you're a closer. You're going to have those intense moments. And you're having on one of the bigger stages in baseball at Yankee Stadium. It was a learning experience for him. You mentioned, you know, he's not quite used to the pitch clock yet. I know mean, that was a concern I brought up with Gabe Kapler last year. I asked him, you know, towards the end of the season, you know, what's that adjustment going to be like? He kind of gave me the old, you know, don't worry, we're going to work it out with him. We'll get there, which what are what else are you going to say there? I guess it's a very diplomatic answer. It's early on in the season. I'm not going to stress about it too much. If it's, you know, end of April, beginning of May, and we're still seeing he's having issues with the pitch clock, then it might be time to kind of side eye and wonder, ooh, what's going on here? Because when he gets rushed, when he gets out of his rhythm, it, it hurts his command, which, yeah. especially with the fastball, is already kind of up and down from time to time. You love seeing him blow 102 right over the plate and strike guys out with it, but you're hoping that he knows where it's going when he's throwing it. What did you think of him relying a little too much on the slider and the cutter? Um, it just felt like he couldn't find any location on all three of those pitches, fastball, cutter, or slider. I think it was a product of just the fact where he doesn't know where the fastball is going. I remember you were you know, yeah. texting our thread, blowing it up, saying, go to the fastball, stay away from the slider. But when he's not trusting that fastball, he becomes kind of a one-trick pony with yeah. that slider. Mix in the fact that he's dealing with the pitch clock. Mix in the fact that he's at Yankee Stadium. He has this <laughs> rabid crowd bearing down on him. Oh, and then also you got, you know, this murderer's row of Judge, Rizzo, yeah. Stanton that you have to deal with. And then also it's raining, too. So it's just <laughs> it, like, keep piling it on. Give me more problems to deal with for Camille Duvall. But, again, the kid got through it. Um, one last guy I want to really kind of give a shout yeah. out or mention to before we move on is Jacob Junis. He made his debut over the weekend as well. And the game day was calling it a slider. It might've been a sinker that he was throwing. It's kind of hard to tell from time to time. His pitches had movement. Yeah. Like they were just cutting all across the strike zone. He was hitting that zone really well. He had kind of a generous zone at times on Saturday, but both teams really had that same generous zone. Jacob Junis, who I think is a guy you're going to be seeing following up guys like Alex Cobb or Alex Wood, those, you know, four or five inning guys to kind of bridge the gap between the fourth, fifth inning to the seventh inning. If that's the kind of Junis we can see this year, it was kind of the same Junis we saw at the start of last year when he first came up. Again, you mentioned how you really want to see these guys go four or five innings, but if Alex Cobb can only make a four inning start, but then he has Jacob Junis to come in and kind of take over those last two innings, not ideal, but you know what? If it gets us to the bullpen with a lead, I'll take it. He's got a lot of Yasmero Petit in him, doesn't he? Where he does, yeah. I, I feel like he can make a spot start, but he's most valuable as one of those guys that bridges you from the third, fourth, fifth inning into the, you know, into the setup guys in the seventh inning where he, he can close that bridge, close that gap. I like Junis. Like as 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 skeptical as I am on Sean Manaya. I'm that optimistic on Jacob Junis. I don't have any grandiose opinions that he's going to be a, a three, two, or a one in a rotation, 
but I think he could do a lot worse than him in the bullpen and as a four or five starter. I think he can spot start for this team. If I have to put it over under, I bet you he makes over eight starts this year. Yeah, I think it's good. Good number there to look at. Again, he is part of that starting pitching depth that the Giants really went for this year. And I love the Yusmera Petit uh, comparison. You know, we've seen how useful swingmen like that yep. can be in a pitching staff. And that's going to be a very good tool for the Giants to use this year. So you are listening to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Lubman here with Joe Shasky coming at you every week with the best Giants content here in the Bay Area. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, share it with everybody that you know. Really spread the word because, again, there's no better place to listen to Giants talk than right here. All right, so we talked about the pitching a little bit to get things started here. And let's take a look at the hitters as uh, they got started this uh in these last four games and you know what let's let's kind of start from yesterday maybe work our way backwards so starting with the uh with yesterday Shasky I did not realize that we moved the home run derby up from July to April I didn't realize the White Sox were hosting it and I didn't know the Giants were the only participants in it seven home runs in a game it's, it's, it's a historic performance they had two uh sets of back-to-back home runs in the same inning the first time in the 160 year history uh, sorry, 140 year history of Giants baseball that that's happened. You know, uh, there's so much to take away from this. Jack Peterson is swinging a really good bat right now. He's had, I think, three warning track shots and two home runs, right? Or is it three home runs? I think it's three home runs, then a couple have died on the track. Yeah. yeah and so, like, you've seen the pop, and he looks like he's grooved in. Yastrzemski? Yastrzemski looks like he's. he's way better this year. I, I don't know what it is. I was very skeptical coming out of spring training. Bat looks good. He's running the base as well. And then Conforto, slow build here, but it feels like the bat's starting to come around. And then I want to stop on David VR. And you can go in any direction on any of these guys. To me, VR, he's a keeper. I, I don't know what he is mm-hmm. as a ceiling guy. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he'll ever be an all-star per se, but this is a guy that I think physically looks the part. The bat looks the part. Defensively, I think he's versatile enough to play both corner third base and first base on an infield. Could he be a potential second baseman down the line? Like, look at his legs. Look at his lower body. I'm not saying he's Adrian Beltre, but he's got the prototype build that I'm looking for for a corner infielder. No, I agree with you. And I want to start, yeah, just kind of with the swing and the base he has with that swing. He's just got so much strength in there. And it's just the swing is just so smooth and beautiful. And when he really gets a hold of one, mm. like he did uh, with that grand slam yesterday, I mean, he just he tatered that thing. Yeah, he did. He just launched it right into the left field bleachers. I am very excited for what David VR can do. When he came up last year, again, there was a lot of hype around him. He was a late round pick, but he really showed a lot of power in the minor leagues. And there is a question of, was it is it going to translate? You never know with guys like that who don't have that pedigree coming out of the draft. It was a slow start at first. You started to kind of like, oh boy, here's another, you know, 4A player. And then in September, he really caught fire. You know, say what you will about just kind of what he was facing in that September run. Dude hit, what, like 10 home runs in the month of mm-hmm. September. Then he's tacked on a few more here. That's carryover power. You're really seeing it. And that's be great for the Giants. And honestly, it'll be really good for Farhan Zaidi, who yeah. needs these draft wins. You Wouldn't- know, guys like Dave VR getting into the everyday lineup, guys who are going to be a part of the future, that is what will take the heat off Farhan Zaidi in terms of just the lack of player development that we've seen. We always talk about what's the direction that this mm-hmm. team is going in. Well, right now, the direction is a lineup with David VR being yes. a very important part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And and everyone's already trying to like predict like what does this mean for Casey Schmidt and who goes where? And it's like, guys, 
We'll figure it out. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? We'll figure out, allow this guy to develop. He needs 500 to 650 at bats. Like that's where I'm at right now. And, and maybe this is all a mirage. He's led the national league in home runs since being called up at the beginning of September last year. Maybe it's all a mirage and he goes back into being a pumpkin. But I want to see if it's a mirage or if he's a pumpkin. I don't want to see them yo-yo him in and out of the lineup every single day. And so he is a guy that I'm prioritizing in the lineup. And I think that's one of my general frustrations. When all of us saw the opening day lineup and Wilmer Flores is out there and you're hearing this rhetoric that, you know, Wilmer's kind of earned it. It's a career achievement thing. It's like, no, the time to play the young guys is right now. I'm I'm seeing it with the Niners and the Warriors. They're in win now mode to try to win championships, not just compete for a wild card spot. And so they didn't have the runway to play young players. There's no excuse like that for the Giants. If there's a young player who's showing promise, I don't want to see the journeyman. I want to see the young guy. The reason you let uh, Evan Longoria walk was because you thought something of either Casey Schmidt eventually or David VR currently. So let's let it play out. Yeah, you know what? Since you bring up opening day, let's kind of talk about what, what went on on opening day. Uh, you and I in real time on the morning roast kind of react to a little bit of breaking news in the in the form of a yeah. uh, Matt Beatty trade. Yeah. Now, we tried to be optimistic about opening day. We were very excited. And when that happened, you and I just kind of broke down on air and Bonte, you know, Hill rightfully was laughing at us over it. I want to address just kind of my overall feelings towards this. And I, I wrote about this for the station. Uh, you can check it out. It's posted on our station's website. Basically, it's like it was like a straw that breaks the camel's back moment. I, I compared it to the scene in the Simpsons movie where they run out of coffee in the dome and that's what sets everybody off, you know, because the moment that sets you off, it's never a big moment in, in the grand scheme of things. But it was just it was the fact that you had Casey Schmidt starting in the minor leagues, which don't like it. I get it. Sean Jelly on the taxi squad. Not a fan not the end of the world. Uh, it was the fact that you didn't have Bryce Johnson on the opening day roster with Austin Slater uh, on the IL. Again, I don't like it. It's a head scratcher. You try to move on. But then the Matt Beatty trade, a lot, on top of all of that, on top of Farhan saying that these moves were going to be, you know, internal going forward. And, and the line he said when he was on uh, the uh, NBC Sports broadcast with Sean Estes and Dave Fleming, he said, we are not actively seeking to fill any specific position. We like the internal options we have, even with some injuries. We're excited about some of the guys who have stepped forward in this camp. And this is a good thing culturally to be able to award those guys. So I fully expect this to stay internal in regards to adding guys to the roster. But then a week later to make this move and then to make Gar the Gary Sanchez move the next day, which that happened as I was writing this story about it. It was just like. I don't want to say that, you know, Farhan lied to the fan base. It's not like a politician who's saying, you know, I'm going to vote for health care and then he doesn't vote for health care. But at the same time, I want to be able to trust that this organization is moving forward. And in the grand scheme of things, Dave Fleming said it on the show the other day. It's not worth getting that upset about. But at the same time, in the grand scheme of things, I want to know things are moving forward. And that was the move for me that just signaled that if we're not moving forward, we're just stagnant or, re or regressing a little well, bit. You've got to just take a leap of faith, Sam. Like, mm -hmm. and I don't mean to cut you off, but like, I, you got to take a leap of faith. Like, at some point, you're going to have to play some of these young guys and take a small, minor step backwards in terms of today's production for next week's production being slightly better. And then exactly. six months from now's production being incrementally better. You know what I mean? Like, so I, Matt Beatty, like, wh what? What? A journeyman? 
-hmm. like the Wilmer Flores, God bless his soul. Wilmer Flores, him starting or not starting on opening day was, was a moot point to me. It's not about giving him a career achievement. It's about what it signifies to the young people that are in this farm system. Hey, you do everything right in spring training. You kick butt, you, you, you work your butt off. And then you could be transactionally moved out of the way for some guy who's slightly better today, but is a journeyman and has been on four different teams. Like that doesn't sit well with me, nor should it sit well with the entire organization. It's not the individual moves. It's the collective moves that are made overall in their totality and how they land metaphorically to the fans and internally to the guys that are working. Bryce Johnson, you tore it up in spring training. Now people can dismiss spring training all they want. I want to see what Bryce Johnson has more than I want to see what Matt Beatty might have available on a given pinch hit at bat. Exactly. It just it's just brought me back to memories of Connor Joe and Michael Reed on, on the opening day roster in 2019, which, again, in 2019, that move makes sense. You're trying things out. You're throwing things at yes. the wall, seeing what sticks, trying to fill holes. It's year five, and you just said we're done with these moves, and yet we're still making these moves. Exactly. And it's like it's like I said, like this is why there's frustration within the fan base. So I want to talk about a couple of guys who were in the opening day lineup, and deservedly so. Uh, the first one being Brandon Crawford, mm. who he had an electric day on Saturday. Three RBIs, a home run. He looks as dialed in at the plate as he possibly could be right now. This is a big year for Crawford. This is a contract year. He's 36 years old. He could be playing for his last contract. And Brandon Crawford has a history of kind of doing well in contract years. Shasky, really quick, in 2015, which was his final arbitration year, he was an all-star. He was a gold wow. golfer. He was a silver slugger. Wow. He had 256 that year with 21 home runs. He had a 5.8 war, which wow. those who don't quite know how war wo- works, that's a really good number to have in your war category. Uh In 2021, another contract year, he was fourth in the MVP voting. He had a career-high 298. He slugged 24 home runs. He had a war north of six. Those are all very good numbers to have in a contract year. This is another contract year for Brandon Crawford. Shasky, what are your your expectations for B-Craw here coming out of the gate? I need him to be the leader that Buster Posey and Brandon Belt were the last couple of years and then some. I need he, him to be the guy that's going to be that conduit. I'm going to give you a cross-sport reference. Do you remember when Bryant Young played on some really weird transitional teams in yeah, the early 2000s? Like the yeah. yeah, he was like the last connection to the Super Bowl era of 1994. No one remembers Brand, uh, Bryant Young that well. But we all have tremendous respect. And when you talk to people like a young Patrick Willis, like a Justin Smith who got there the year after Bryant Young left, the impact he left on that locker room and on that culture cannot be quantified. That's what I want to see from Brandon Crawford. It was nice to see him make a couple diving plays to his left and make a play to his right and turn that double play in the set in the ninth inning of, of the game on Saturday. But really what I want to see from him is that consummate leadership to explain to people, I was born and raised a Giants fan. I know what it means to wear this Giants lid. And I want you guys, as I hand you the baton, to take that winning DNA that I helped foster and cultivate into the new era. Does that sound too corny? No, I mean, I think it makes total sense, especially with a guy like Brandon Crawford, where it's a storybook career. Yeah. He grew up a Giants fan. He's playing on, you know, in his backyard saying, Mm -hmm. you know, game seven of the World Series, Giants are in it. And then he lived it as an actual professional. I mean, how many guys get to not only play for their favorite, you know, their childhood team, play at the level that he did, win World Series like he did, 
Shasky, he's going to finish as no one has played the shortstop position, his dream position for his dream team more than Brandon Crawford. It's just, it's so storybook with him. And yeah, he is, he sets tone in that clubhouse. I think you said on this podcast last year, how who who has done a better job representing the Giants brand, the Giants uniform, and just representing themselves within the Giants community more than Brandon Crawford? It's just it's so hard to come up with a negative thing to say about him. He's just he's a true fan favorite. And you know, I asked guys in the in the clubhouse last year. You know, who are the who are the leaders here in this clubhouse? Yeah. Uh, Yaz and Webb were you know the two names that came up a lot, mm-hmm. along with Brandon Crawford. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of Yaz, I want to throw a Yaz thought at you because. You've been very vocal about your frustrations with Yaz over the last couple of years. And I look at this season for Mike Yastrzemski as kind of like a last stand of sorts for his career. The reason I say that is because the first couple of years of his career, well, let me backtrack a little bit. The reason I say this is a last stand for him is because of the banning of the shift. I really think it's going to go a long way to helping Yaz out. The first couple of years of his career, teams shifted on him less than 50% of the time. And this is a guy who does a lot better when he's hitting not against the shift. You remember 2019, 2020, he was a great ball player. Uh, 2021 and 2022, they were shifting on him in 73% and then 81% of his at-bats. And you really saw it in uh, in his overall statistics. 20, uh, 2021, serviceable player more boom and bust though and then last year he was basically again very boom or bust a lot of home runs but the hits just weren't there uh you're seeing the the hard hit rate the strikeout rate the walk rate launch angle all those metrics used to track the swing it all looks the same the only difference is he just wasn't getting hits and so you look at his spray chart and you know they always say you know you want to hit them where they ain't well where all of his hits were are where the second baseman ain't gonna be anymore interesting so, I really think that if you're going to see a late career, I don't know if it's a 32, 33-year-old guy calling him a late career renaissance, but if you're going to see a bounce back from Mike Yastrzemski, I feel like things are very well set up for him to have that kind of a bounce back season simply because the shift isn't there to ruin his batting average. That's very interesting. I'm glad you brought up all that data. Uh, I did not know those numbers. I mean, he's been very frustrating to watch the last couple of years. I mean, occasional power. He does get on base at a decent clip, given his low batting average. He runs the base as well. He's a plus defender. I've kind of pigeonholed him as a fourth, fifth outfielder on a, on a contending team. That's the way I would view him. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to see more from the guy, obviously, because it does feel like they've had a lack of outfield production for 20 years. You know, I mean, you got yeah. a, some Pence years and you had a singular year from Angel Pagan or maybe Andres Torres or or Ellis Burks or Reggie mm-hmm. Sanders here and there. But really finding those homegrown guys has been very, 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 very difficult. So. I'm looking at the Matoses and I'm looking at the Ramoses and the McCrary's and all these guys in the farm system. I need Yaz to be able to produce now because it doesn't feel like any of those guys are ready to come up right now. Like, you know what I mean? And so they're going to need that production. And I also want to see him play well, because I think that takes a lot of pressure off Michael Conforto as he returns from an injury. Cause there are a lot of people expecting big things from Conforto. If you get better production out of Yastrzemski, I don't need as much from Conforto. And then Mitch Hanniger, who hasn't even played yet. Like I think their offensive production outfield wise can be much better than what we saw over the first four games. True. And I know the guys, the, the people within the Giants organization think very highly of Mike Kostremski. And again, he's one of those guys where you go around the clubhouse, you ask who the leaders are. He's the name that came up with everybody else. So a big season out of Mike Kostremski would do wonders for the Giants as a whole. 
Um, you are listening to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Loveman and Joe Shasky here coming at you every week with the best Giants content you're going to find. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Make sure to share this podcast so that you're not missing any of this content. So I want to uh, take a quick trip down to the farm system here at the beginning of the season because uh, Melissa Lockhart of The Athletics, she does a great job following the Giants and A's farm system, keeping track of prospects. She's incredibly dialed in all up and down uh, both teams' farm systems. If you have a subscription to The Athletic, highly recommend you checking out her stuff. She is incredibly good at what she does. She had a uh, sit-down uh, conversation with Giants farm director Kyle Haynes, just kind of talking about this upcoming season and where things stand with the farm system. And one thing I want to start off with was kind of the last thing they got into, which was uh, they asked just uh, – she asked him about the progression of the farm system here. And – he said, this is his response, you know, in year one, we had arguably the worst farm system in baseball, and you can't rebuild a farm system in one or two years. Nobody does that. I mean, the NFL teams can't even do that as quickly as those guys develop. It takes a long time. And Logan Webb uh, was drafted in 2014. This was nine drafts ago. It's That's how long it takes sometimes for these guys to really become the face of the franchise. Pablo Sandoval spent five years in AAA, or sorry, in A-ball. Uh, this is not a get-rich-quick get scheme in player development. Basically, he's been saying what I think a lot of Giants fans have had trouble admitting. This organization, you know, in regards to its farm system, it was down pretty bad when uh, when this crew got here, and they've slowly inched it up here with the in terms of just improving the overall health of the farm system. Chasky, when you hear that, what are your thoughts there? Because I know you, as much as anyone, has been very much chomping at the bit to finally see this farm produce something. And like me, you have also been very frustrated with the lack of fruit that we've seen so far uh, before opening day this year. Well, I think the Pablo thing about him spending five years in A-ball is a little misleading because he was signed as like a 16-year-old. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So th that can be misleading. Look, right now I am optimistic on the overall health of the, the farm system. Do I think it's as far along as I would like it to be? No. Is it uh, a nightmare? No. It's somewhere in between. All they need is a couple of guys to pop through. I was looking right now, and this is the roster for the Flying Squirrels. That's their double-A team. Avila, who's one of their uh, you know prospects that is thought of highly. Um, Frisbee, Gates, Helvey, Jensen, Miller, Murphy, Rivera, Rodriguez, Roop, Sanchez, Tang. Right. You might not know a lot of those names, but these are the arms. They drafted something like 25 or 35 pitchers over the last couple of years. Those are some of those arms, Okay. Catching, you have Gary Sanchez, our back, who you saw in spring training. All right. And then in the infield, Aldretti, who you've heard about a little bit here and there. Mm -hmm. Luciano, who's been DHing. I'm happy to see that. And then in the outfield, Vaughn Brown and Luis Matos. All of these guys were in single layer lower last year, you know, so it's nice to see them all take that that prerequisite jump. We know at AAA, you, you've obviously got uh, the two guys that most of us have been waiting for, Elliot Ramos and then Casey Schmidt, who's playing shortstop. Reinforcements are on the way. Now, there are some misses, too, though, which I don't want to overlook. Like the Luciano thing, something's up. We've been it's hearing about longer him. than it should, yeah. It's something's up. The back, he hasn't played in the field yet. He hasn't played a full nine-inning game yet. There's just – I've red flagged that. Uh, Reggie Crawford, he's hurt again? Mm -hmm. Really? He trends to be more, the, more of a pitcher than a hitter? And then Will Bednard, what? He's not ready? I mean, this is a college pitcher who I thought would fly through the system. Hunter not Bishop, another him. one. Right. So, I mean, look, there are some things to be optimistic about. 
But at the end of the day, where I'm the most frustrated is I look at their major league roster and it's 30, 30, 31, 32, 33 year olds. And then I look at a team like the Royals and I look at some of these other teams who are just as bad when it comes to their farm and their development. And they've got a Bobby Witt Jr. playing shortstop at 22 years old. Now, Mm -hmm. you could say, Joe, he's an outlier. He's a phenom. Well, you've had six drafts here. You can't find one outlier. (laughs) You can't find one phenom. You've got international free agent spending. Yeah, I I think both sides of the equation are true. Yes, it takes time. Yes, I know I need to be patient. But my goodness, one of these apples can't grow to fruition. That's all. Yeah. Well, I think we should hopefully be seeing a pair of apples uh, come to fruition, hopefully in the next couple months. And by that, I mean uh, starting pitcher Kyle Harrison, as well as well, Schmidt, right. who we've, who we've have uh, who we've mentioned a lot already. Schmidt, I want to I want to believe that he should be up maybe mid-May. I know the Giants, they kind of like to take their time with yeah. getting some of these guys, their well, reps in the minor leagues. Can I, I remember, something? Yeah. If this Estrada injury yesterday, if that is something that may be bigger than they let on, does VR move to second base and you naturally bring Casey Schmidt up? It might. I, that would. That's a oh, very. Estrada is your backup yeah. shortstop currently. You know what I mean? Like I'm just throwing out ideas. Yeah, I mean that would be a perfect opportunity. Uh, the only reason I would poo-poo that is because, you know. Th- when it comes to just kind of looking at Farhan's history in terms of how he progresses prospects through the minor leagues, he really wants to make sure they get their full complement of at-bats and plate appearances in the lower levels. I remember in 2020, we were all chomping at the bit to see Joey Bart come up because why not? You know, it's a, it's a lost season. It's the COVID season. There's no minor leagues. Let's get him up here. And I remember Farhan was on with uh, Damon Rado and Kolsky at the time, and Damon said, you know, come on, can we just see a little bit of Joey Bart? And Farhan's uh, answer was along the lines of he just hasn't had enough reps in the minor leagues. And he talked about all the reps that guys like uh, Cody Bellinger got uh, or, you know, Mike Trout got when he was in the minors. Mike Trout's obviously a very brutal comparison because Mike Mm -hmm. Trout is, you know, Mike Trout. Mm -hmm. But here's a comparison, though, just for Casey Schmidt to some past guys that Farhan has promoted through the system. So Casey Schmidt in the minor leagues, he's tearing it up in the minor leagues. He has only 806 minor league plate appearances, 16 of which were at the AAA level coming into this season. By comparison, Corey Seager had 1,700 plate appearances in the minor leagues. 464 of those were at the uh, AAA level. Yeah, but but they were high school players drafted. Like there's, see, to me, I make a distinction between college players drafted and high school players drafted. Keep going though. Yeah, and then well, I guess then the other side is Gavin Lux, 1,800 plate appearances versus 306. Uh, coming at, at AAA. So, yeah, I do believe that the fact that Keith Schmidt, yeah, he was drafted out of college. He should be further along. But when it comes, you you got to get these at-bats at AAA. You got to get, you you got to cut your teeth against that talent at that level. And for the most part, Schmidt just hasn't done it. Now, he has tore it up in low A ball. He tore it up in AA. Uh, last year in AA, he hit 342 in 29 games. Uh, so he's... He's getting it done at every level of the minor leagues as he's progressing up. The Giants just want to make sure, hey, can you keep that production going at the highest level of the minor leagues before we bring you up to the major league uh, to the major league level? Schmidt has been kind of defined as like a glove first, with then the bat coming along secondarily. But then he's hitting three, you know, you know, three thirty in the minor leagues. You're wondering how much of that is going to carry over to the big league level. It's very unlikely he's going to be hitting three forty two against big league pitching. So. Let's make sure he can handle himself against, you know, guys who are about to hit the big league level before we really give him that next step. Again, the Estrada injury could change that a little bit, though. 
you know, it's just interesting. I feel like we find narratives to hold people down and we find other narratives to, to elevate people more than they need to be. Pablo Sandoval, like in that article, they go, hey, you know, he spent four or five years in a ball. Well, yeah. And then he didn't play any triple A and was elevated directly from double A and balled the hell out and had mm -hmm. 25 home runs, 92 RBIs and batted 325 his rookie year at 22 years old. Right. So we could find different outliers of guys succeeding or not. I just come back to the same thing. You're either good enough or you're not like you're either going to figure it out and adjust or you're not. The reality is this. I didn't know these numbers were even true in Major League Baseball over the last 40 or so years. Top two or three picks have a less than 30 percent chance of ever becoming an everyday player. That like is a reliable draft like as a whole. Top three picks in Major League one, two, or three overall in the draft have less than a 30% chance of going to the bigs and being an everyday player for five years. That's wow. crazy. I mean, it, it's hard to make the big leagues. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. So I do think at times, like Joey Bart right now, he might not be any good. And I don't think any of bats in 2020 were the reason he isn't good is what I'm getting at. I don't yeah. think him failing at the end of the 2020 COVID season are carried over into an at bat in September of, of 2020 when he can't mm -hmm. hit the inside fastball. Like you're either good enough to adjust and continue to get better or you're not. And so while Farhan might think you need a prerequisite number of at bats, innings, you know, situations, et cetera. I do believe that certain guys are phenoms, and I don't think they have any of those, and they can rise quickly. Tim Lincecum was barely in the minors for a year. Mm -hmm. Barely, okay? And we all saw what that ended up being. Why? Because he's a phenom. And so they haven't drafted the right guys, and that's why they're struggling to get through the systems. I wonder if they almost maybe trust that their guys are phenoms. So, like, I look at a guy like Kyle Harrison, who, again, He's really kind of tore it up in the minor yeah. league on the mound. He's looking really good, but he's another one where they said over the offseason, we want to progress him in the similar way we did with Julio Urias. Well, Harrison, 212 innings in the minors. Urias threw 313 innings in the minors before he got his promotion. Mm -hmm. And then that's before we even saw the kitty gloves that the Dodgers treated Julio Urias with. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm hearing that, and it's like, if that's the timeline we have to deal with for Harrison – it's it's not enough that he's going to get up here. It's when he gets up here, then we have to pretty much sit around and watch the Giants basically half use him. And if he's the guy where you watch him pitch. He 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 reminds me a little bit of Madison Bumgarner, just yeah. in terms of just how big he is on the mound. The arm slot similar. The delivery is very similar. The strikeout potential is there. One thing I know the Giants do want Kyle Harrison to work on is the walk rate. He's got about an 11% walk rate in the minor leagues right now, so I did know you, they want to cut that number down a little bit. Did you catch any of his televised games that were in spring training? I did not see those, no. Yeah, I, th I think he's a little bit away. I think he's a couple months away at minimum. Mm -hmm. and that's and that's me being optimistic. I'm I'm not trying to you know poo poo it. He just he looked a little overwhelmed, and so he looked like a 21 year old. But yeah. but again. He looked better than a lot of their 24, 25, 26, 27-year-olds. So I'm very, very encouraged. I'm very, very high on him. But at some level, I think they just got to let him sink or swim. And then mm -hmm. you also have the question of this when it comes to pitching. I know you want to have a prerequisite number of innings in the minor leagues. Well, don't a lot of these arms have expiration dates, right? Yeah. So, like, I, there's many ways that we can look at this. Like, ah, do I really want to waste valuable bullets in the minor league? Uh, I can go many different directions in this. My overall impression, and Sam, this is where I'll leave you when it comes to the minor league. They're better off than I want to admit, but it's not as good 
as they need yeah for us to consider them a success successful farm and organization overall yeah they're in this kind of tough middle ground yes. or they aren't they kind of situation where it's yeah for every player you're excited about like for every kyle harrison for every casey schmidt there's a hunter bishop or a will bednar that's kind of out there. and they're really struggling with their first round picks now yeah. that's not just a farhan regime problem i mean you go back to the previous regime under brian sabian you know it's been since joe panic in 2011 yeah. that they've had a first round pick actually contribute at the big league level unless you want to count christian arroyo being kind of a bench guy for the red Sox. but again for, that was like his fourth team pick, yeah, you expect a little bit more out of first-round picks. So it's not just this regime that's having struggles with it, but at the same time, this front office, this Farhan regime, was brought in to do what the previous regime could not do. Yeah. They were brought in to be better. I always The, the term I always used that Larry Bear used was next-gen thinking. And when it comes to the farm system, it feels very, I don't want to say old-gen thinking, but it feels very same-gen thinking. And in terms of building that sustainable template in the way that like the Dodgers or the Astros have, it's just not looking like it's quite well, there yet. And Sam, this is the other thing. Like stop copying what everyone else is doing. Do your own thing. Stop telling me about what you did in LA. Start doing what you need to do in mm -hmm. San Francisco. And like, I know they hired Pete Petula, uh, if that's how you pronounce his name. Um, yeah, close enough. Yeah. You know, from Houston and I get it. You want to take some of the things that are successful from Houston and replicate them over here. Carve your own path. Stop telling me about what you did in Oakland and, and in L.A. and start doing what you need to do in San Francisco. I agree with that. So anyway, uh, Shasta, you have any final thoughts here before we sign off? Uh, next time we talk, we're going to have home games to talk yeah. about after the Giants' long, arduous road to uh, the home opener. I'm excited for opening day, which is Friday. There's going to be some scattered showers. I'll be out there. Hope to see you, Sammy. I'll, I'll see be you there tomorrow. Too. Absolutely. And uh, let's go. Let's have another good week of Giants baseball. And let's try to have a, a solid, solid first month of the season. All right. That's Joe Shasky. I'm Sam Lubman. You've been listening to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're rating this podcast. Share it. Review it. Go out into the world and tell everyone this is the podcast you have to listen to. So until next time, we will see you then.